We read in the Psalms, in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. We pray, O Lord Jesus, we ask you to come to us today with your encouraging word. Strengthen us, revive us, and in your mighty power and saving love, encourage us and save us. In your name we pray, amen. Dear friends, in, it seems that storms are happening more frequently in recent years and recent times and with more ferocity across the world. And we hear of this every day. Storms often bring danger and disruption to life. Storms destroy property and life. They are chaotic and they are frustrating. They can undo years of work in just a few minutes. And yet storms also bring good things, don't they? They bring much needed rain and relief from the hot summer's heat. Growing up on a farm in West Texas, uh, on a cotton farm in this, what is normally a semi-arid region and so normally pretty dry, I appreciated as a teenager growing up on the farm the refreshing rains that a thunderstorm would bring even though it was uh, very climatic. And um, it was refreshing. But I also saw the dark side of storms. My family one evening watched a tornado on the horizon several miles away from where our farm was. And the next day we went over there and we saw the destruction that it wreaked uh, on the community that was nearby and on farmsteads. Whole farmsteads were just wiped out and destroyed and neighborhoods were severely damaged. I've also seen where entire crops of cotton ready for harvest were stripped by hail, a hailstorm, in just a few minutes. An entire years of work was undone in just a few minutes. So what are we to make of storms? Well, the gospel tells us, as we said, about a storm. Now, we could talk about the weather forever. But this storm is about more than just the weather because it's about Jesus and it's about his disciples in the storm. It is the storm where we read of Jesus walking on the water. Now that event, his walking on the water, may at first seem to be the most notable feature of this, but there's a lesson here that makes that storm itself and more things about what Jesus reveals concerning himself as a powerful lesson for us and for our life and for our faith. And so I'm calling the sermon this morning Revelations in the Storm because in the storm, Jesus reveals himself and what that means for us in our storm. So let's go for a few minutes with Jesus, the 
to the Sea of Galilee and feel the force of the wind in our faces and hear the roar of the waves splashing over us and let's learn of the revelations in the storm. I can imagine that it was a very lovely evening when it all began as the people were finishing there on the shore of the lake, on the uh, western shore, as they were feasting, as they finished feasting on the bread and the few fishes that Jesus had miraculously multiplied for the people. And then Jesus instructed his disciples to get into their fishing boats and go in advance to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It was, would have been about seven miles away across the lake. So Jesus dismissed the crowd, probably with a prayer, and then he went up onto a hill to pray by himself. And remember, that was his original purpose for going to that spot earlier in the day. And then later, when the disciples had gone a good distance out to the middle of the lake, maybe about three miles away, but he could still from his vantage point see, see them out there, Suddenly, a wind blew up. Suddenly. Storms like that would often come without warning as the warm air of the day rose off of the lake and then a cool rush of air would come in from Mount Huron up to the north in between the trough of heel, hills that rose from either side of the lake. It was kind of, made kind of like a wind effect. And the wind would even have hurricane force. And you can imagine how the boat was pushed by the wind. And not only that, but the waves swelled up and pitched and threw the boat around relentlessly. And all they could do was just grab, turn the boat into the wind and row with all of their might and hope for the best, hope that they could endure till the end. Needless to say, those who were in the boat were the ones really taking the beating. Their muscles were strained to the limit. Their energy was spent as they rowed there all night. And then on top of that, their spirits were probably pretty beat, beaten up because they were doing the Lord's bidding, weren't they? And after that fulfilling day of the Lord's teaching and the miraculous meal that Jesus had multiplied for the people, they expected a smooth sail across the lake. But now, suddenly and through the night, they were struggling for their lives. Where was their teacher now? But Jesus kept praying there on the shore, on the, on the hill. So one revelation that I can think of about this storm was the disciples, particularly, their weakness over against the might and strength of that storm, but especially their weakness of faith as comes out later on. Jesus could see what was happening from his vantage point on the hill, and there are events that we attribute to be forces of nature, aren't they? And there are other events that we describe as in terms of the cause and effect of history. And we know that people sin 
And sin creates waves of trouble that can beat people down. And leaders of nations can govern with godless acts that cause distress for many people and for nations. We believe, though, that God is the one who is in control. He's in control of events. As we read from God in Isaiah chapter 45, I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord, he says, who does all these things. And also Paul wrote of that all creation is subjected to futility. And this storm was a part of that judgment, that futility to which all the world is subjected. The storm revealed God's judgment. But the storm also revealed something about the disciples. It revealed, it brought out their weakness in the face of that, and especially in the face of the, that sense of judgment. They could not overcome the storm on their own. They were frustrated. They were exacerbated. And the storm shows our need for our Lord and his grace and his help. Finally, Jesus went out to his disciples. He went out, as we noted, walking on the water. And with that, there's another revelation. Jesus revealed his power over nature and over God's judgment. He was in control. He was not subject like we sinners are. Now, as he went out, it was early, early in the morning, perhaps. A hint of light had begun to appear in the eastern sky, but the water was still dark. And the wind was still howling, and in the darkness and through the mist of the wind and the waves, they saw this figure on the water coming towards them. And what they, they all screamed, and they shouted, It's a ghost, they said. It sounds kind of strange, but superstitions were alive, very much so in, amongst the people. And the appearance of a spirit, especially in a dangerous time was a good sign of approaching death so the superstition held and at that point their faith in the Lord seemed to be gone with the wind well these things then started they were happening very quickly actually and immediately their shout of after their shout of terror Jesus said something Something that stands out to me as the main thing, the real main thing of this event. First, he said, he said three words. The first of these is, have courage. And he, with that, with that, he commanded that their panic and their fear would give way rather to a calm confidence and even a cheerful, joyful heart and spirit. That was his first command. And then Jesus spoke the basis for that encouragement. Now, the translations that we have try to make the English flow rather easily for our ears to hear and grasp, as though he said, 
It is me. It's as though Jesus, according to the attempt of the translations, might have said something rather casually, like, don't worry, it's really me, don't be afraid. But the literal wording that is brought out here may not be so casual and not so easy to grasp, but it's the Lord's word of encouragement. In the trauma and the distress of the storm, Jesus really identified himself there on the water in a unique way. Literally, he said, I, I am. In the Greek, it is simply ego, amy. I am. That was his identification of himself there. You can translate it maybe various ways, but I would be remiss if I did not point out how this, wor this wording really parallels how God revealed himself to his people in the Old Testament. Remember when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush to send Moses back to Egypt to bring his people out of Egypt? Moses asked, who shall I say sent me? And then God identified himself as I am. And he said, say to the people, I am sent you. And by the way, the name Yahweh. And every time you see the word Lord in the Old Testament, it is meant, it is, a, it is the Old Testament Hebrew way of translating Yahweh. And every time you see that, it is a, it is a, form of the verb to be, which is to say, I am. That's the name by, that God gives himself, by which he reveals himself to his people. So in the Bible, that identification, I am, is always coming in the context of God's saving acts and God's covenant mercy where God promises to be Israel's God and Savior. There, now in the storm, Jesus revealed himself as that God. That's the significance of what he said there to his disciples. Jesus came and re he revealed himself as their Lord and their God, precisely when their great need was exposed. He came with his promise, and this is a promise, I am. It's more than a declaration, but it's his solemn oath and promise that he gives to us. And then he said the third thing, don't be afraid. And again, he commanded what flows from who he is and what he does. He is the one who takes our identity upon himself, our identity as sinful human beings, where he humbled himself. And the greatest of all miracle is that he walked into that ultimate storm for us. He paid the eternal price with his blood of the covenant in order to reach down and pull us out of 
that ultimate storm. He forgives every sin, and he casts those sins into the sea, the psalm says. And then he rose to be the living one, the living one to whom belongs all authority in heaven and on earth, where he promised to be with his people forever and to help them and to guide them. So fear not. What's there to fear? There are different kinds of storms. Yes, there are sudden weather events that disrupt life and faith and do great damage. But there are other kinds of storms that can bear down on you, like financial distress that looms in the forecast. There are winds of war that loom on the horizon. There are waves of lawlessness that rise up and bellow against you and threaten you. There's the spray of false teaching and deception that splatters us from every direction. And then there is that disturbance that we all feel of getting older. When the inevitable weakness of the body hits you, this also is a storm that blows against you. We are experiencing times of increasing storminess and upheaval. These are stormy times. But Jesus' encouraging word is meant for us in our time. He is, as one hymn says, the great I Am, who comes with his faithful promise he comes with his mighty strength and he gives his eternal peace. No matter how severe the storm, he is in control and he works all things for good. So Isaiah wrote very much the same thing of what Jesus said here in the storm in Isaiah 41. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then in verse 11 of that same passage, I, I am Yahweh, and besides me there is no Savior. So when Jesus spoke this comfort, the climate quickly changed. It changed from fear to faith. It did. Peter said, Lord. Now, there's more there, but I just can focus on that, that Jesus had come to them. And now that he had done that, the storm was no longer the focus of their attention and their dominating concern, but the struggle and the danger of their situation had faded. It faded from their focus to being on Jesus. And that's always the source of encouragement and faith. The waves may still come and be there like Peter. And we begin to sink when we see them. And immediately, though, we read that Jesus reached out his hand and pulled Peter back up. Walking on the water, you see, is hard. It's hard enough. In fact, who can do it? We human beings. We're not God. 
But walking on the waves, how much more difficult is that? But do you know that to walk in faith, believing in Jesus, is just as difficult as walking on water? A person cannot do it without the almighty power of God, the Holy Spirit holding us up. But to walk in faith in the midst of the waves is even more difficult. We thank the Lord that he comes to us and he reveals himself to us with his promises. He stands beside you. That's his covenant promise to be with us and to bring every benefit to us. And when you still can't stand because you can see only the hardships and the problems and the pain and the grief of life, it swells up so that they overwhelm you, the Lord graciously and powerfully reaches out his hand to hold you up, as he does in giving us his body given on the cross and his blood shed for your forgiveness. Thank the Lord that he reaches out to us in such times of little faith. Otherwise, we most certainly would sink. May our God and our Lord continue to reveal himself that way to you in the storm. And that is his promise. He does do that. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.